my wife Laura and I try to be faithful and regularly teaching our children the gospel and seeking to imperfectly model for them what, what it does look like to follow Jesus. You would do that at strategic times around meal tables, you know, reading the Bible at breakfast or, or at dinner as, as, as the time allows, uh, and also impromptu, just conversations in the car or just on a walk uh, where we can engage them and teach them about Jesus. Uh, more recently, I've been having some traction with my, my son, Soren, uh, my, my six-year-old, um, about him trusting in Jesus as his Lord and as his Savior. And so recently, he says to me, Daddy, I'm so close. I, I just, if I could just see Jesus face to face, I'd be ready. I said, buddy, you and me both, Would, wouldn't it be wonderful Wouldn't it be wonderful to see Jesus face to face? And in fact, that is what is coming for those who do trust him. But actually, God says in his word, he's given us enough evidence, enough things to see and to read to actually place our trust in him now, before we see him face to face. The Bible says we have enough now, before he comes again, to trust in him. What I want to do with you this morning is to explore how God has revealed himself and how we are to respond in turn. How God has revealed himself and what it looks like for us to respond to him. So let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. In the Bibles we provided on your seats, you can find Psalm 19 on page 456, page 456. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you a free copy uh, in the lobby where the books are, the, one, the bookcase closest to the restrooms. There are black hardback Bibles there. Please take one. If a friend needs one, they're welcome to have one as well. So this Sunday, I'm going to preach for us Psalm 19. Next Sunday, the 10th of September, I'm going to preach Psalm 20. So we're just doing three psalms in succession. Dylan preached uh, Psalm 18 last Sunday. I'm doing 19 this Sunday. We'll do 20 next Sunday. And then on Sunday, September 17th, we'll start a two-semester sermon series covering the entirety of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. So we will cover Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, beginning the 17th of September. Take a little break to do a Christmas series. Pick back up in January. Run it through the end of April, probably. So that's, that's what we're going to do. If you're new to Beacon, our practice is to preach through books of the Bible, like big sections of the Bible, if not the whole book or letter, and alternate Old and New Testaments. So Old to new, old to new, that's, that's, our, that's our practice, to see comprehensively God's work of redemption across the Old and New Testaments. All of it culminates, centers on Jesus Christ. So Psalm 19, that's our topic for this morning. Let's read what David writes. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, that I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The idea that we see unfolding here is a rhythm of revelation and response. We've talked a lot about this when we did our two-week series on congregational worship. We defined worship as our faithful response to God's prior revelation. So worship is just a response of what God has revealed through his character, through his work, through his word. So worship is our right response to God's revelation. And Psalm 19 is all about God's revelation in different ways and how humans can respond to that revelation. So that's the theme here, revelation and response. God reveals himself through creation and through his word, and then we respond. Worship is revelation and response. So three parts here in Psalm 19. I'll give these to you now, and I'll repeat them as we go. God reveals himself through creation, verses 1 through 6. God reveals himself through creation. Then God reveals himself through his word, verses 7 through 11. And then finally, we respond to God's revelation, verses 12 through 14. So God reveals himself through creation, God reveals himself through his word, and then we respond to his revelation. So the first section, God reveals himself through creation. Let's look again at Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. What do you notice? What is repeated? What theme is recurring there? Notice what David writes, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Now, those are just four verses, but speech words, word words, are five, six times over in there. Declaring, proclaiming, speaking, speech, words, hearing, voice. That's the theme. Creation communicates about God. God's created order, everything that he's made with his hands, tells a story, testifies to his truth, to his power, to his beauty, to his Infinite wisdom and glory. Creation communicates truths about God's. God's creation testifies to his majestic beauty, his unparalleled power, and his infinite wisdom. Can I ask you, what part, what place in God's creation has taken your breath away over the years in your life? 
What is that setting? What is that place? What is that destination? What is that hike? What is that shoreline that takes your breath away? All of it does, but sometimes it takes us as sort of desensitized people to be in certain places to see God's glory through what he's made. What is it for you? Where do you readily see his work, his handiwork, the unveiling of his glory? A week ago, Saturday, a week ago, it was 10 p.m., I was fishing on a very still, calm lake uh, in West Virginia that we go to every summer. I was there with a good family friend. We were fishing on the top water. The, 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 the moon was out. There was not a cloud in the sky. And when you fish, they can see the jitterbug that you throw out there, and then you just reel it in real slow, and it's and you can't, hear, you can't see the fish hit, you hear it swallow that jitterbug and then it's pulling on your line. It's an amazing experience, especially when the moon's out. And it was. And so we're fishing, we're having a great time. And I look up into the sky, and you know, this is like rural West Virginia, so you, you don't have a lot of, you don't have any skylights, right? You just, you just have the stars in the sky and you can see them. And I saw, there's the ladle of the Big Dipper. There's the handle, and there's the basin of the pot. And I just, I just sat there, and I think, God hung those stars there as a witness to his unparalleled power. Where is it for you where you readily see God's handiwork, his power, his glory? Just look at the stars. Go on a hike. Walk along the beach. See the water that just wave after wave rolls in. God spun it all into existence. It's his work. And it communicates truths about him, his power and glory and wisdom. What is that place for you? The problem is we do become numb in this life. We become all too familiar with this glorious setting that we inhabit. We get distracted by our day-to-day schedules and our routines and our responsibilities, and we become desensitized to what is all around us and what those surroundings say to us, communicate to us, speak to us. How do you fight the numbness of this life? Let me encourage you, just a simple application. Take time out of your day to get outside and go on a prayer walk. I've challenged myself through, through, through pastoral friends in my life, realizing God, I find my prayer time is diminished in life. And I had a guy challenge me, Dane, just take half an hour on your lunch break or at the end of your day, it'll help you decompress, go on a 20 to 30 minute walk. And as you walk, pray. And as you walk, visualize and and observe what you see around you. All around you is the evidence of God's glory and his presence and his power. Go on a prayer walk. What does that look like for you? Take, Take 30 minutes, 20 minutes on your lunch break. Get up early, go on a walk when it's still, or after work, pray as you see. I was reflecting on this as well, how often Jesus noticed the mundane in his own creation and used that as teaching tools. In his parables, for example, when he's teaching his people about not worrying, what does Jesus use to encourage us, his people, not to worry? We're going to explore this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Look at the birds of the air. Just simple. We see birds all the time. You saw them as you walked into the birds of the air. 
They do not toil, nor do they labor, yet God feeds them. How much more you will your heavenly Father feed you? For aren't you more valuable than birds? Look at the lilies of the field. They neither spin nor weave, yet not even Solomon in all his resplendence was arrayed like one of these. You, why do you worry? If he clothes the, the grass of the field that is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, care for you? What is Jesus doing? He's taking a walk. He's saying, there's birds right there. There's lilies right here. And they're teaching truths about God to you right now. Go on a walk. See the mundane. It's all around us. Creation communicates truths about God. Are we listening? Are we attuned to our surroundings. David says in verse 3 of Psalm 19 that through the heavens there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So what he's saying is creation communicates to everyone everywhere. All hear it, but the sobering reality is not all heed it. All hear it, but not all heed it. Act on it. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, 19 and 20, For what can be known about God is plain to people, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So people are without excuse. God has revealed his attributes through creation. And so people, you and I, are without excuse. Yet, this is the sobering reality. Verse 18 in Romans chapter 1. But by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. So we see it, we know it, but we suppress the truth. The sinfulness of human hearts suppresses the truth about God's authorship of creation. We become self-deceived and we believe lies about creation, the world we inhabit, our origin, and our purpose in life. We believe lies. We suppress what we know is true as seen in creation about God's authorship and his power. We suppress it. We believe lies and it leads us down all kinds of self-exalting, self-destructive pathways. Creation speaks truths about God's character. Are you listening? Are you hearing and heeding? God reveals himself through his creation. Second, God reveals himself through his word. In verses 7 through 11, we find David using every possible Hebrew term for God's word to, for, to refer to God's word and what it has power to do in our lives. And let's just scan this section and see what David is saying about the effectiveness of God's word in our lives. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord is blameless unblemished, faultless. It revives and refreshes and rejuvenates the human heart. Just like good food revives and rejuvenates your body. 
That's the nature of God's word. It revives souls as we take it in. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, humans do not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need God's word. It sustains us. It revives our, our weary souls in the midst of the pilgrimage of this life that is dry and parched. We need the reviving that comes from God's word. The precepts, verse 8, of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Friends, there is joy in trusting and obeying God's word. There's true joy in obedience. And beware the cultural narrative that no joy and happiness comes from unrestrained living. Uh, no commandments, no instructions, just do as you want. That's enslavement. That's bondage. Actually, true liberation, true joy, true delight comes in living under the right restrictions. And those right restrictions are God's instructions in his word. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God's word enables you to think well about God's world. God's word enables you and I to think well about God's world. It gives us wisdom to think and discern and make right judgments in the thorny life that we live in. Wisdom for the simple. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So on one hand, enlightened eyes, it's a joy theme again. You know what it is to see someone who has brightened eyes. Maybe they've just brought a child home or they got a new job. or Their eyes are brightened. There's joy there. But there's also something else here. Enlightened eyes are renewed vision. You, you have light to see the path in a dark world. So there's guidance and there's direction upon the path that you walk this life through God's word. Psalm 119.105, your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's, that's what we're seeing here repeated in Psalm 19. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God's word is trustworthy. You can bank your life on God's word. It's reliable. Take it, take it to the bank. Trust in it. It's, it's a firm footing. Reliable, righteous altogether. After exhausting the Hebrew vocabulary of ways to refer to God's word and the effectiveness of God's word, David now speaks of the worth of God's word. Verses 10 and 11. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. God's word is more valuable than the costliest of treasures in this life. God's word is better tasting than the finest of foods in this life. So David is just doing his best to find imagery in human experience to express delight and satisfaction. There's nothing like God's word that will satisfy your thirst and your longings in this life. Because God's word points you to God himself. He satisfies your soul. More to be desired than they are than gold, sweeter than honey on your lips. Vivid imagery of human delight and satisfaction. What are you chasing in this life? 
What dead-end paths are you following for satisfaction? If it's anything other than God, in his word, it's going to leave you unsatisfied and emptied. Let God direct you to his heart through his word. He alone satisfies. He's your treasure that cannot be taken from you. Moreover, by your word is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The reward here is joy. Friends, you will be happier when you obey God. Kids, you will be happier if you obey your mom and dad, if you obey authority figures. You will be happier if you obey. It's just how God has set up this world. Despair comes in a life of rebellion. It may feel good in the moment, but in the end, it leads to death. There's true happiness and joy when you obey. It's the, it's, it's the way to go. Kids, teens, I know I, I seem like some weird pastor, uncle, like it's obedience is good for you. It's good for you. It's what you need. It's what you need. It brings joy to your soul. The reward is joy. The reward is satisfaction. Your soul will search endlessly the corners of this world to find satisfaction, and you're always going to be empty until you find the Lord through the avenue of his word. Joy, satisfaction, there's also character growth. The reward is character growth. As you trust and obey God and his word, you're going to grow in wisdom and knowledge and righteousness. It's a good thing. Character growth. Character growth, wisdom in life, good judgment, righteousness. This is the reward of following God's word. So first, God reveals himself through his creation. Second, God reveals himself through his word. Thirdly and finally, we respond to God's revelation. We see a compelling response, verses 12 through 14. David asks this question, who can discern his errors Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. What is David doing here? He is engaging in serious heart work here. Discerning the depths of his heart, the the recesses of his inner soul, the places where sin hides And he's just simply asking, let your word be a light that shines on it and discerns what's in me, that I might know it and flee from it. Deliver me from the dominion of presumptuous sins. He's asking for the word to do the soul-searching work. So the response to God's revelation, particularly his word revelation, is to ask and allow God's word to search us, to seek us, to discern the deep recesses of our souls. David does this in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What's he doing? He's praying, it. God, search me and know me. See the offensive, grievous things in there. Surface them uproot them, and lead me in the way everlasting. What's the way everlasting? The ancient way, it's the way of the Lord. 
the way of Jesus. David constantly does this. Seek me, test me. The word is like a giant spotlight that shines on the deep, dark places that sometimes we want to hide. David's responding to God's written revelation by asking it to shine the light on his sin. The author of Hebrews, it's not just an Old Testament truth, it's a New Testament truth. Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. God's word is a giant spotlight on our sin, and we are in the wisest, healthiest place to allow him to shine it on us and to, and to show us our sins so that we can repent and turn into a, into a better, healthier pathway. David says in verse 13 of Psalm 19, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Presumptuous sins are those willful, arrogant, defiant sins. I'm going to do what I want, God. Thank you very much. I don't need you. I'm going to go life my own way. That's presumption presumptuous sins, willful, arrogant, defiant sinning. It actually takes dominion over us, notice. It enslaves us. That's what sin does. It enslaves you. You can't get out of it. But as you trust in God and obey his word, you're liberated. That's the good news of the gospel. We are liberated from our enslavement to sin through trusting in God's word that leads us to God's redeemer, as we will see just at the end my rock and my redeemer. There is liberty for sinners through the redeemer that is revealed through God's word. Liberty for sinners through the redeemer that is revealed in God's word. Read it and see that redeemer. Then, verse 14, I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Brothers and sisters, we become like what we follow in this life. We become like what we follow. So if you follow God and his word, you're going to become like him and his word. And what did we just read about his word? Pure, clean, blameless. You become in this life like what you follow. If you follow the way of foolishness and folly and sin, you're going to become foolish, dabbling in deeds of defilement. We become what we follow in this life. Follow God and his word. It leads to blamelessness, purity, righteousness. David concludes his response to God's revelation with a prayer. Beautiful prayer here in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What a beautiful prayer. What's David asking? Oh Lord, let the the thoughts of my mind and the words of my mouth be holy and pleasing to you. You can pray that every morning, every afternoon, every evening and be healthy for you. Let my thoughts be right and pleasing to you. Let my words be pleasing and right, O oh Lord. How is that possible? How is this prayer answered? Only as God's word becomes the food that you regularly ingest you will become like what you follow, like what you obey, like what you trust. Regularly take in God's word by yourself, 
in small groups and in corporate congregational gatherings like we are right now. Regularly take in God's word. What does it look like for you? I know that this conversation oftentimes is surrounded with some feelings of guilt and uneasiness. Listen, Reading God's word, is, it's, it's, it's not to be something that you just sort of check mechanically off of. Off of you, you don't need to feel guilty about it. We all struggle with it. Let's just get that out in the open. It's hard. It's, a, it's, it's, it's called a spiritual discipline. And just like exercise is a discipline, it takes hard work. And, and, we, and we fail and we get out of the gym or don't exercise. Like just, it's just the next, today's a new day. Today's the new day. Make the right, next right decision. Just open up God's word and read it. Forget the guilt, forget the shame. Just open God's word. What's it look like for you to make it a routine, a practice just to take it in? Start small. Don't say, if you've not been reading the God's word at all, I'm gonna do an hour a day. That's not gonna happen. Just be realistic. I'm gonna take 15 minutes and I'm gonna read two chapters in the Psalms or two chapters in 1 Corinthians, and then I'm gonna pray about what I just read. Just be realistic and let, it, let your time grow from there. Just be realistic and let it grow from there. But let it be daily, daily taking in God's word, just like daily you gotta take in good food. Take it in. You become like what you follow, what you read, what you trust. How will you and I prioritize and guard our time in God's word this week? David concludes, O Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. God's word reveals our redeemer. In my conversation with Soren, wouldn't it be wonderful to see Jesus face to face? You know what Jesus says when faced with this question? John chapter 5, he says, look, you've got the scriptures. The scriptures testify about me. They're sufficient. They're sufficient for you to trust in me, you've got the scripture. What a precious gift we have of his written revelation. Take it in and let it lead you to the redeemer who has died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and rose again so that you could be forgiven of your sin and have a relationship with him that begins the moment you trust and lasts for all eternity. God's word reveals God's redeemer, and he is Jesus Christ, worthy of your trust, worthy of your whole heart. God's word reveals our redeemer, and in his word, our redeemer has given us instructions. He's given us ordinances, things to practice that are healthy for us. And this morning, we get to practice one of those ordinances, the Lord's Supper, which he's commanded us to celebrate on a regular basis, to encourage our faith in him, to remember his mercy, to display and demonstrate our unity with one another. And so we have an opportunity to do that this morning. If you are a believer in Christ, we want to welcome you to receive uh, the Lord's Supper, to come to this table. If, if, if you do some soul searching this morning, you say, I don't know that I actually trust in Jesus Christ. I can't say that he is the Lord of my life, that I'm living under his authority, and I'm following him. Abs that's okay. Abstain from taking the Lord's Supper. Do not take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, Paul says, 1 Corinthians verse 11. But if you are a believer in Christ, we welcome you to, to celebrate. If you're not, we'd love to, to talk with you in the coming weeks so that come October, you'd be ready to receive the Lord's Supper. We want to make you ready to receive the Lord's Supper in the right way.
So in a moment, uh, I'm going to pray and then lead us in the receiving of the Lord's Supper. After I pray, if you've not had a chance to get the communion cup, it's right there in the lobby. You can grab that, and then we'll celebrate together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for the provision of your witness through creation, through the beautiful things that you have made, and through your specific revelation to us through your word. God, help us to to take it in, to allow it to lead us to our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Prepare us now, O God, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Thank you for this instruction, this ordinance that is healthy for our souls and for our community. Help us to do this, Lord, in a worthy way. Grow our faith. Strengthen our unity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.